Hi, everyone. This is Curly Conspiracies. I'm Holly Lowerman, and I will be your host for this week's episode. Here with me is Brooke Sasser. Hi, everyone. Before we dig into this episode, we want to tell you that our Patreon has changed. We are now offering all of our Patreon episodes from all of our tiers for just $1 a month. That means you will get a year's worth of full-length episodes, audio extras, and minisodes. You will also continue to get minisodes each month afterwards. To get this deal and join our fan club, go to patreon.com slash curlyconspiracies. It is known that UFO incidents in Canada don't get as much coverage as here in the United States. When you think of UFOs or aliens, the first thought that might pop into your head is Area 51 or Roswell. But there is a case just as groundbreaking as those ones that you might not have heard of that put Shag Harbor on the map. So let's put on our tinfoil hats and dive into this shagadelic conspiracy. Shag Harbor became a historic landmark, it was a small fishing village located at the southern point of Nova Scotia. If you look at a map, you will see that Shag Harbor is just a hop, skip, and a jump from Maine. It also has had its fair share of cryptid and ghost sightings in the past, so when officers were getting calls from residents seeing orange lights in the night sky, They weren't too concerned at first, until callers would state that they saw four orange lights flashing. It started with the first light, then two lights, then three lights, then all four lights on at the same time, and then they would all turn off again and repeat the cycle. One group of these witnesses were five teenagers in a car, one including Lori Wickens. They were heading home from a high school dance when they spotted the lights. Wiccan stated they figured these lights were part of some type of airplane at first, but the way they were moving seemed different than other ones they had seen before. This aircraft seemed to be following them at first, but then it made a 45-degree angle and dove straight down past a hill. Upon seeing that, the teenagers were worried that the aircraft was in trouble. Once they drove further over the hill, they saw that these lights had crashed into the water. Scared that someone was in trouble, Lori Wickens ran to the nearest phone booth and called the RCMP, also known as the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, and told them what they had just seen. Interestingly enough, the RCMP were actually already on their way to investigate. Wow, so the police actually witnessed the orange lights too, or were they responding to other calls coming in? Actually, both. One officer of the RCMP, Constable Ron Pound, saw these lights for himself. Before even knowing about the situation, he was headed to Shag Harbor for something else entirely. That is when he noticed them. 
He believed that the four lights were all connected to one aircraft instead of them being four separate ones that some people thought as they were giving their reporting statements. Pound also estimated it to be about 60 feet long. That's huge. Every time I think of a UFO, I always think really small for some reason, like three to 10 feet, maybe. I don't know why. I just I just feel like they're small. <laughs> That's what I thought, too. And just to kind of give you an idea of how long 60 feet is. I mean, that's the same length as a sperm whale, a semi truck or a bowling lane. So, I mean, this aircraft was huge. So when you say 60 feet in length, was this UFO circular or was it a different shape entirely? That's a good question. So I've never actually been able to figure out exactly what it looked like because most people only really just saw the lights. But one witness did say it looked like a globe with lights. But I think because it was so late at night, most people could really only see these orange lights and not the actual shape of the aircraft. And so when I read through sources, they all had stereotypical, you, you know, the stereotypical UFO picture. So I'm not sure if that's what it really looked like because it's similar to what they had seen or if it was more of a generic picture that they just used in these sources. So I'm assuming there's no pictures or footage then, right? Actually, there is one person that took a couple of photographs, but I only found them in one documentary called The Shag Harbor UFO Incident. So take this with a grain of salt. The photographer Wilfred Eisner said that he was trying to take a picture of an old boat burning, but while he was out there, he saw these lights in the sky and took a couple of pictures. And the ones he took are all very similar, so I'm only going to just show you one of them, Brooke, and I want you to tell me what you think of it. Okay, so I see the orange lights that everyone was talking about, but the formation of them is kind of strange because I figured all four lights would be in a circle or diamond shape, and three of them kind of are, but the fourth and fifth one is kind of off to the side, unless maybe there's something else, but it almost looked like it's trailing behind the other lights. But that's all really you can see in this photo is just kind of a black night sky and these lights illuminating it. So the photographer stated that the three lights that formed the triangular shape were the ones on the UFO, and those three lights were not moving at the time he took it. This was also taken an hour before the aircraft went into the harbor. So some think that there could have been multiple UFOs that night, or this is the same one that was flying around for quite some time before landing in the harbor. So to go back a little bit, other callers that had just seen the lights were frantic because they had just seen this plane crash into the harbor and they thought that people, that there were actually people inside that needed rescuing. Officer Pound was joined by two other officers and other locals while they all gathered on the shore. After the crash, a couple of minutes later, the aircraft was floating up on the surface of the water. Officer Pound and a couple of other witnesses saw it change its appearance and shape to something completely different than what they saw in the air. 
Unfortunately, I was never able to find out what shape it was after the possible transformation. But all the officers and locals could do was just watch as they saw a yellow dim light on the surface of the water and a yellowish foam that was left in the object's wake drift farther and farther out to sea where it could be no longer seen from the shoreline. By the time the object and the light was out of sight, that is when the Coast Guard Cutter number 101 finally came on the scene. The cutter first went out to where the aircraft had hit the water. The lights in the object were nowhere to be found, but this yellowish foam was still floating at the top of the water. Upon getting closer, they got a whiff of what the yellowish foam smelled like. Sulfur and it was thicker than regular foam. The yellow slit covered an area of about a half a mile in length. Anytime the RCMP had any trouble in the water, they always asked for local fishermen and others with boats to come help, and it didn't take long for the other local boats to aid in the search to see if they could find any survivors, debris, or signs of the aircraft. While out there, they also stated that they had never seen anything like the foam that was out there in the water that night. By the time they got out there, though, it was so dark that it was difficult to see really anything. They called off the search at around 3 a.m. and decided to come back out later in the morning when it would be easier to see. At this point, the majority of people believed that the aircraft that had crashed into the harbor was a plane. Whether it was civilian or military or private, they weren't sure, but they were worried that people were inside of it. When people were called upon to help in the search efforts, they raced their way to get there to the water as quickly as they could. But when no survivors turned up, it was truly devastating for people who had seen it or had tried to help in the search. Their belief was that whoever was on that plane died that night. It was a tragedy that befell on the community. And as this was all happening, the RCMP was investigating what type of aircraft it was and who had sent it. The RCMP had called several different organizations, including the NORAD Tracker in Bacaro, Nova Scotia, and the Rescue Coordination Center in Halifax, but none of them had reported any missing aircraft that night. This had everyone wondering, well, if it was a military, commercial, or a private plane, what were they looking for? After this commercial break, we will discuss what happens the following day. We're Malice After Midnight, a podcast that focuses on true crime. We want you to feel like you're part of the conversation. And sometimes we deal with pretty dark subject matter. But we always manage to have a good time. She dragged the body into a closet before she bled the body out and cut it into nine pieces. Nine pieces, okay. Now the Christine's following... counting arms and legs. There's four, <laughs> two arms, two legs. I'm the head is a piece. Four, five, head. cut the body in half. That's six, seven. There's two more pieces. I'm not sure. Maybe she cut the, the feet. Two, four, six, eight, ten, nine, and the head, and left the body. So hands, feet, legs, arms, head. Head, body. shoulders, knees, and toes. <laughs> knees and toes. <laughs> so check us out. We're Malice After Midnight with Tina, Steve, and Christine. Now back to the show. 
The following day, the news had spread about some type of object falling in the water. It was in the newspapers, tabloids, and even later, a comic book. The report of the incident was sent to the Canadian forces in Ottawa, where they stated that something, quote, of unknown origin, end quote, fell into the Shag Harbor the previous night. When residents called into the RCMP and questioned what it was that crashed, they would all get the same answer. Quote, it was a UFO, end quote. But they wouldn't provide any other details. And even though this sounds like it was a big admission by the government, it is important to state that they only meant that it was an unidentified flying object and not necessarily that it was flown or caused by something extraterrestrial, at least yet. The RCMP called back the same organizations they did just hours earlier when they were looking for the missing aircraft to give them updates. And while they did this, they received orders by NORAD to search the ocean to look for the object. A couple of days later, they were able to gather a search team and materials to conduct the underwater search for any possible wreckage. The Navy divers looked for two days, sun up to sundown, but the object or any evidence that the incident even ever happened was never found. Or at least, that's what the government stated. The residents in the area, however, watched as the divers looked in the ocean over the two days, and on the last day, they saw the divers haul something out of the water and put it in the back of the military truck. When the divers were asked what they had found by the locals, they replied that they didn't find anything, and what they were putting in the back of the vehicle were markers. They said that these markers were to help keep the divers' orientation while they were diving in murky waters. But the locals weren't buying it because the so-called markers were twisted and jagged and looked like it would present as a safety hazard underwater where it was difficult to see if it was a marker. The markers that divers use, especially in cave diving, can kind of look like that, though, if they're talking about line markers. Now, some look like arrows that can kind of look jagged, but they're really pretty small. So I'm not sure if that's what they were talking about, because I mean, they, they're not large enough, I feel like, to be that noticeable. Yeah, to haul out of the water. Yeah. I'm not really sure either, to be honest. And I tried finding out if markers looked different back then, but I wasn't able to find a picture. So I don't know if what the divers are saying is true or not. But I think it could be possible that they are telling the truth because the visibility in that water is low there from what I've heard and markers would probably need to be a necessity. But for them to haul them out and then be that big, I'm not so sure. All of the events in the past week would be known as case number 34 in the Condon Committee Report. And if you don't know what that is, it was a study to review Project Blue Book cases to see if Project Blue Book needed to continue. But in reality, the government was trying to get out of putting money into investigating all of these UFO reports. Investigators would know before even getting started on a case that they needed to have a negative conclusion. So then when nothing came up in the dives, this became the last case for Project Blue Book so it could end. 
So does this mean that the Condon Committee report investigated this case alongside the Navy divers in their own search, or did they take on this case after the Navy divers attempted to find something, already knowing there was nothing there? It seems like the latter. They knew it was a case where there was no evidence, so then they could officially end Project Blue Book. I think they just use this case kind of as an excuse. And the reason I think this is because, get this, Dr. Levine, the investigator from the Condon Committee report, made two phone calls for his investigation and said, yep, that's a wrap. That's it? Yep. He never even went to Shag Harbor. He just made two long distance phone calls for his study and called it a day. One to the RCMP and the other one to the Maritime Command. That's it. Wow. I mean, that's... I I mean, I don't know how intensely they normally investigate a UFO incident or any kind of situation like this, but I mean, there has to be more to make it a more valid approach. I mean, only two and not even two, like, any spectators, just to, I mean, pretty much the police and... The Maritime Command? I mean, that that's suspicious. Right? And we haven't even had any official UFO training, and I know we could have done a better <laughs> job than that. But I guess if you are going into the investigation knowing you're going to conclude the findings as negative for an actual UFO, then I mean, why put in any effort? And of course, because two different investigations showed up with nothing, the UFO case turned cold. That is, until 1993. Chris Stiles, a mutual UFO network investigator, decided to look into this incident for himself. Now, every person that looks into true crime cases, cryptids, UFOs, conspiracy theories, mysteries, or hauntings always has that one case that fascinates them and they jump down the rabbit hole with. And this was that case for Chris Stiles. Another mutual UFO network investigator, Don Ledger, also joined him and they were actually able to find a lot of documents in Canada's National Archives, surprisingly, about the incident. One document even had the word UFO written at the top with three underline marks underneath, showing just how much they really did not know what it was that went in the water that night. Ledger and Stiles then went to Barrington, the nearest NORAD station, to see if they had captured anything on their radar that night. But they hadn't. They also found some of the original witnesses, divers, and pilots by looking through newspaper clippings and interviewed them. What they learned was shocking. The public believed that after the Navy divers didn't find anything under the water, that the case was over. But that is not when it actually turned cold for investigators, because there was a possible second UFO. According to Barrington Municipality's page about the Shag Harbor incident, it states, quote, The object that dove into the waters of the harbor had soon left the Shag area, traveling underwater for about 25 miles to a place called Government Point, which was near a submarine detection base. 
The object was spotted on sonar there, and naval vessels were positioned over it. After a couple of days, the military was planning a salvage operation when a second UFO joined the first. The common belief at the time was that the second craft had arrived to render aid to the first. At this time, the Navy decided to wait and watch. After about a week of monitoring the two UFOs, some of the vessels were called to investigate a Russian submarine that had entered Canadian waters. At this point, the two underwater crafts made their move. They made their way to the Gulf of Maine, and putting distance between themselves and the chasing Navy boats, they broke the surface and shot away into the skies, end quote. Okay, so I have lots of questions, but first, does this mean that they thought that the first UFO that everybody saw turned into a USO? Yes, because it seemed like the UFO went underwater, turned into an unidentified submerged object, and traveled underwater to government point on purpose. But maybe whoever was manning this object didn't realize there was a submarine detection base there. I also just wanted to add that I found it odd and super specific that the UFO USO thing supposedly ended up at government point from Shag Harbor. At first, I thought it could have just floated there on its own. But if that was true, that the object was at government point, I just find it so hard to believe that it floated there. It had to travel there because it was too coincidental. I looked at a map and it isn't a straight shot there either. I feel like this object had to have navigated and purposefully traveled underwater to get to government point. But I'm curious on what you think, Brooke. Here is a map and just a reminder, the picture and the map will be linked on our episode page on our website if you want to see them. Oh yeah, there's no way it just floated there. There are so many tiny islands that the object would have to maneuver around and probably other obstacles as well. I mean, I I don't know. I feel like it would be very difficult for it to get to one point to the other like that. I don't know. Exactly. Because at first I was pretty doubtful that a UFO could even turn into a USO. But if it ended up at government point, It or someone else wanted it to be there, especially because at this point, the public didn't even know that Government Point was a submarine detection base. It was kind of advertised to everyone as an oceanography study center where they looked at ocean currents. It wasn't even known to the public until the 1980s that it was actually a military base the whole time. They had microphones and grids to use as surveillance, and people think that this UFO was trying to get through without being detected and disarm the system. Then Canada wouldn't be as protected and be vulnerable to a future attack. And the second UFO was like a rescue mission to retrieve the first UFO, or was it there to help attack the military base? From what I understand, yes, the second one was there to try to help the first one. So maybe it could get out of the harbor because there were naval vessels floating right at the surface of where the object was ready for it to come out. And because of this, the UFO turned USO needed help. So whoever sent it risked a second UFO to help the first one. And then they just played the waiting game. And I guess it paid off. But the public wasn't made aware of this second UFO until this new look 
into the incident in 1993. So were there witnesses when the two UFOs flew away out of the Gulf of Maine? And did anyone in the government or the military corroborate any of this happening? The two mutual UFO network investigators said that there were witnesses, both civilian and military. There is one document by the RCMP that reported that there was another search near Government Point where a fisherman claimed he saw flashing lights that same night on October 4th. And he stated, quote, it sounds like the thing they are there for down off Shelburne or Barrington Passage, end quote, which Barrington Passage was near Shag Harbor and Shelburne was near Government Point. So this gives an indication that there were two searches done one in both places on October 4th. There were even two or three military divers that told investigators that they had seen beings trying to fix the UFO underwater. However, the people in the government and the military did not want to make these statements on record for fear of ridicule and loss of possible pensions. That is really interesting that there is documentation of a witness stating there was another search, but I should have known people in the RMCP and other organizations wouldn't come out to say what exactly happened. Of course. And I know it's so frustrating because we see this time and time again. I can't say I fully blame them for not coming out and saying this happened on record because we've seen people try to come out with the truth before and then their lives are at risk. But at the same time, this could all be real, but we will never fully know because people are worried about coming out against the government's narrative because we don't know what they will do. We will dig into the theories of the Shag Harbor UFO incident after this commercial break. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Now on to the theories. The first theory is that a UFO crashed into the harbor and the government is covering it up. It has been disputed as being one of the most well-documented UFO cases in history, with different organizations coming in and conducting their own searches. Military personnel were also witnesses and claimed that they saw the lights, the object, and the crash, which most of the time does not happen in these cases. Another thing to add is when the civilian witnesses were calling the RCMP about seeing lights in a crash, none of them ever reported seeing a UFO because they all believed it to be a plane. The first one to mention a UFO was the authorities in this case. 
And to this day, this case remains open and unsolved. Some people believe that something fell into the harbor that night, but it was probably some sort of military aircraft. One reason especially is because this UFO then turned USO traveled straight for the military base, which seems like some sort of attack. Then a Russian fleet comes out and invades their waters where Canada has to use their vessels to solve that issue instead of watching over what they believe could be two objects in the water. Many believe that the Russian fleet coming right at that time could have been a distraction to get the other two objects out of the water undetected by the Canadian military. Or even if the objects never flew out of the water, maybe it was just enough of a distraction to have them travel through the water to a new location out of the sights of the Canadian military. Another reason is that there actually have been vehicles that could fly and travel underwater since the 1920s. There was even one built in 1961 in the United States and was successfully demonstrated in 1964. So there could have been a flying submarine made and this either could have been a test gone wrong in a cover-up or used in an attack. Others think that it could be mass psychogenic illness. This is because there were a lot of residents calling other locals in the area to come where it was thought to be a state of emergency. There were a lot of heightened emotions as well when they were on this rescue mission. And this incident was also in the news, tabloids, and comic books. So some believe with all of this, it could have been something as small as just seeing lights and possibly seeing something crash blown out of proportion. There are others that think nothing even crashed at all and it was just an illusion of some kind because nothing was ever definitively found in the harbor or anywhere else. But all in all, many say that the Shag Harbor incident is one of the most compelling UFO cases in history. Several UFO incidents only have witnesses made by the residents that live in that location, but this case has investigations, documentations, studies, and witnesses by military and civilians. This could be proof that aliens exist. Others think that this type of technology was already possible in the 1960s and this could have been attacked by another government. Then there are also those that think this could be a mixture of an illusion and mass hysteria. But I want to know, what do you think, Brooke? Before I dig into my thoughts, I have one more question. Did anyone gather that yellow foam to see what it actually was? Ugh, I want to know this too. So there have been mixed reports. Some say that there were samples taken. The problem is no studies have ever come out to say what it was, if there were really any samples taken at all. So this part is really muddy. So I'm not sure to be honest, but I hope they at least took some samples of it. I hope so too. And I'm so shocked that I've never heard of this case. I definitely don't think this is a case of mass psychogenic illness. I feel like there's just too many witnesses and what appears to be investigations that gathered some pictures and additional evidence and eyewitness stories that I feel like something really did happen that night in Shack Harbor. 
I feel like it could have been a military craft, and I would have stood by that until the second group of investigators discovered that a second UFO came to help the craft, and then Russian submarines were spotted in the distance at the same time. I feel like that's just way too complicated of a cover story. I mean, if it was the military, I feel like they would have just used their divers to get it out the first time, and that's it. Especially since that was what locals seem to have possibly witnessed originally and nothing ever really came from it. And that seems pretty on par for for what we see the government do. You know, they do it and then they're just like, no, that didn't happen. So. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like that second UFO and USO coming to save the first one and the witnesses that reported beings working on the first craft really made me think that this was a true extraterrestrial craft and the government does know about it but is covering it up. And since locals reported seeing them take something out of the water, I mean, at the start of this whole thing, I feel like they probably had collected some type of evidence of extraterrestrials, and then they claimed they found nothing and were able to take this, you know, 60-foot craft out of the water and put it in the back of a military truck. (laughs) So, I don't know. And then... And as far as the yellow foam goes, I feel like the sulfur smell is also pretty common to hear about when we learn about UFO and extraterrestrial cases. So that kind of points me to the whole alien idea too. But what do you think, Holly? I was also surprised that I never heard of this case either. And I concur that this is definitely one of the most compelling cases to me as well. I don't think it's mass psychogenic illness because if it was, people would have outright said that they saw a UFO that night, whereas the authorities were the first ones to say it. And there were also so many people involved and the fact that there were so many witnesses, strange yellow foam, photographs of the lights, and documentation. I am not sure if I believe if it was extraterrestrial or not. So I'm actually going to go a different route than you, Brooke. I'm actually leaning toward it being military, especially because it seems too coincidental that a Russian submarine came just as the Canadian military was waiting to see if those two objects that were underwater would make another appearance. And on top of that, the object went straight for a submarine detection base before a Russian submarine came. It also makes me think that they were trying to attack the base so that the Russian submarine could get through. Then we can't forget that the public didn't even know that government point was even a military base at the time. So maybe the Russian government or these two objects did know and tried to attack it. But I could also see this UFO trying to target the base and then this Russian submarine was just a distraction for everything. So I could see that too. So the military idea is the theory that I'm going to go with. But what are your thoughts? There are still people that want to bring awareness to this incident. They created a society and constructed a museum dedicated to it. They also had an annual UFO festival, but I don't think they have been happening in the past few years due to COVID. The government has commemorated the Shag Harbor UFO incident on a coin by the Royal Canadian Mint, which sold out pretty quickly. And some take this as a sign of admission that there was a real UFO that fell into the harbor that night. 
Others think that they have put a lot of different happenings in history on these coins and you shouldn't look too much into it. But what do you all think? Could this be a sign that Canada will tell the public what really happened? Or will this incident remain a mystery forever? Thank you guys for tuning in today and diving into this mystery with us. Go check out our website if you want to see our sources, pictures, and other information from this episode at curlyconspiracies.com. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok and search for the handle Curly Conspiracies. This podcast is brought to you by Magua Rin Productions. Brooke Sasser is a scriptwriter, host, and researcher. Holly Lowerman is a script writer, host, and researcher. Chris Sasser Photography and Graphic Design. Roundtable Audio Productions. And the theme music is composed by Victor Wayne Music Production in Invado Market.